Hi, I'm Billy Glosson, lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and you're listening to the Coram Deo Podcast, a place to engage with sermons, devotionals, prayer, and everything else we're doing at Coram Deo. Thanks for listening. We're going to be reading from Jude 1, 5 through 10. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay with, with their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued, pursued unnatural desire, served as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputed upon the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Please welcome Michael up. I'll pray for him before he delivers the word. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for the soccer field. We thank you so much for this body of people in this church that we meet with every Sunday, this community that we have. We thank you for the sun, and we thank you for the flowers. We thank you for all the beautiful things that you are waking back up to bring us joy and light and hope. We thank you so much for this time to gather. Dear Lord, we hope that you soften our hearts to receive the word that we are about to hear, that we calm our minds, bring peace to our thoughts so that we can hear what we are trying to receive. Dear Lord, I hope that you turn on our ears and allow us to hear all the things that you are trying to bring to us this Sunday. Be with Michael as he brings us this powerful world word this Sunday. In all things we pray, amen. I'm not sure I can match the energy level that we just got to see. Um, I'm also not sure that the energy level was ready for the dark and gloomy passage. Welcome to church. Welcome to Quorum Deo. <laughs> Eternal fire, punishment. All right. Hope you brought your floaties. Getting to the deep end this morning. I spent the summer of 2007 a long time ago, in, in, in West Cliff, Colorado, at a place called Uplift Mountain, I took part of a seven-week discipleship program that combined the outdoors, physical fitness, and spiritual disciplines. And there, there are plenty of things that I learned out there that have faded over the years, um, but suffice to say, that summer was a major turning point in my life. Uh, I want to tell you a bit this morning about one of the activities that we did that summer, and that is the obstacle course. It began with, uh, well, first of all, uplift's elevation is 8,800 feet, okay? So if you can imagine a person of my stature uh, from the Midwest going to that, um, a little hard to breathe, 
Um, I know that I'm not today a spokesperson for P90X, uh, but I do have muscle today that I didn't have then, um, even if you can't tell. And what I'm trying to say is that I, I was even more out of shape then than I am now. Um, but the obstacle course, okay, that's to set the stage for what I'm about to describe of that guy, that out of shape guy is going to run this obstacle course, okay? Um, it began with the, what we called the over-under. It's just several posts below waist level that you had to run and jump over the first one, army crawl under the next through dirt and sand, and then you turned and ran uphill. There's about seven of those posts over-under, over-under. Then you ran, and uh, by the way, I might be getting these out of order, so uh, my wife will correct me later. Um, then you ran uphill, and there was these ropes with knots in them, and you just had to hang there for like ever, um, and it was, I think it was like 10 seconds or something, but you just had to hang on the ropes and then let yourself go and then grab another rope on the ground that had a tree limb attached to it, like a, a log, uh, and then you ran up what we called the horseshoe and you're dragging this log and it's bouncing all over the rocks behind you and then you have to run back down the hill. Down another hill, there's a rope suspended in the air and you're just supposed to like lift your entire body on it somehow and swing across this pit. Um, then you come to the tires. Oh, the tires. Six tires hanging by ropes, each a bit further away from the last one. <sighs> then you go down a hill over the top of this old cable spool. I think they called that the meat grinder for some reason. Um, and then you ran across these uh, long balance beams. And then at the end of all that, a 15-foot wall was the last thing with all of the energy that you have left. And there's just a rope, and you just have to, once again, lift your entire body up and go over this wall. Um, but kind of going back to the beginning, there was this, this place at the beginning of the, before the over-under, there was these two trees that everybody stood in between, and we called them the starting trees. And the director of the program, his name is Dean, he, he was standing there next to my fellow uh, staffers that summer, and he was saying something to them. And I didn't know, and I'm sitting there like boiling with anticipation, like the negative kind of anticipation. And you get up there, and almost like a whisper, Dean would look at you and go, are you afraid? <sighs> yeah, I would say back to that, very much so. He said, good, do it afraid. You've got We started this series last week, and it's called Fighting for Faith. And when Billy said, what do we do? We fight. My mind went back to those starting trees. And even now I, I have goosebumps because there is a, a spirit of perseverance and endurance and pushing through quitting points that I think, I think many of us have kind of lost. Understandably so. It's been a brutal couple of years, let alone all of the suffering and trials we kind of already experience in life. But our series is called Fighting for Faith, and our, our point today of our message, our big takeaway, is to fight to remember the gospel. And so as we look at 
the passage we already read today, it, it's kind of odd. It's seemingly obscure. It, we want to unpack it. But my hope is that we can rally together in this same spirit, wipe the dust off of our Bibles, and fight together for faith. As Billy unpacked for us last week, Jude is the half-brother of Jesus, and he's writing to a group of believers that have been infiltrated by false teachers. So he says in verse 4 that we, we read last week, certain people had crept in unnoticed. So these are professing Christians that entered in, began a false teaching of the freedom of Christ. And like other New Testament writers, Jude is referencing Old Testament examples, and he's, he's also referencing some kind of extra-biblical texts. They're not scripture, but he's using them to set the example and set a tone here. And so we don't know exactly who this letter was meant to be read to, but there's a good chance it was a mixed audience of Jewish and Gentile believers. But either way, the message of Jude is actually pretty straightforward. He's, he's writing to remind them and to tell them He's writing to remind these people that the real gospel and calling has been in their hearts. He's asking them to return to their first love. He's telling them to fight for faith, and hence the the title of our series. And in our section today, Jude is explaining that this malignant view of freedom in Christ is a direct path to judgment and death. And so as we unpack this message, again, I said it already, Our call is to fight to remember the gospel. So let's look at verses 5 through 7. You know what? That is easier. (laughs) Verses 5 through 7. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued a natural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal hellfire. Eternal fire. I added the word hell. I don't know why. It seemed to pack a punch. Um... Jude is exhorting his readers to remember something that that I believe has largely been forgotten by even us today, that our God is totally and completely holy. And in his perfect holiness are perfect love and perfect wrath, and, and they exist in harmony. One doesn't contradict the other. His holiness requires sin to be punished. But see, for the Christian... Jesus received that punishment. But we forget this so quickly. See, I said this in our Esther series, that we doubt God's character because of our low view of our salvation, right? Our salvation should, it should compel us to joy and hope, compassion for others. We should be humble, but oftentimes it doesn't. It's not good enough to produce that kind of fruit in our lives, and it's because we have too high a view of ourselves too low a view of our sin, and far too low of a view of the utter holiness of God. And it leads our hearts to entitlement. But when you experience the real grace of God through through Jesus Christ, when you remember that God actually owes you nothing and saved you, not on your merits, but by his grace, and that the righteousness of Christ has been placed on you like, like clean clothes that you didn't buy, that sort of grace changes a person. 
And so we fight to remember this gospel. James Rathman um, is a pastor that took over the church my wife and I got married in in Denver. And he puts it like this. He says, this is a one-way pursuit. Here is how we stand before the Lord in our salvation. We bring nothing. When we stand before God and say, what makes us righteous? The only thing we can point to is Jesus. Jesus took the death and slavery and punishment that I deserved. Our response is just praise. When we think that we're moderately depraved or that we're, we're moderately sick, and then we stand before the Lord and think, wow, thanks for the help. I just needed a little hand to, to stand before you, but now I got it. I think we could pretty much talk as peers, God. That is not the way this works. That is not the holiness of God. When you stand before him, you bring nothing because you're totally depraved in his sacrifice. His sacrifice is our only hope in the world for being cleansed. See, from the very beginning of verse 5, we... It's a good place to start because Jude says this is not a new message, right? And today I'm not trying to convince you of something new. He's not writing to convince them of something new. He's saying, you know the truth. At one time you've believed it, but now you've been led astray by the siren's call of comfort and sensuality. He's saying that the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. He didn't tolerate sin then, nor will he do it now. So if someone is teaching that they had a vision of, of a freedom to do so, that vision is not from God. The gospel of Jesus does not contradict God's word or his character. So the new covenant, it did bring about immense freedom. We do have a, a, an incredible freedom in Christ, but it's not an undoing of the Old Testament, but it's the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament points to. The very gospel these believers knew and believed at one point teaches that God's wrath was poured out onto Christ for their benefit. So it's not that sin has gone unpunished and that now it's just freedom to do whatever, but Christ has taken that punishment so that now those of us who are in Christ, we experience discipline from a loving Father in heaven and we no longer fear what would be just punishment. So this corrupt version of freedom cheapens the immeasurably costly grace of God. Jesus paid a price we could never afford. If we take a step back and look at, at the real picture of what's going on here and kind of think about it in our day today. These were professing Christians that came to the church they acted the part for a while, but they begin to question and then outright reject the authority of God. Their unbelief was exposed. That's how John Piper puts it. He's, he's referring to, to uh, verse 1 where it says, to all the called who are kept in Christ Jesus. He says, the evidence that they are not called and they're not kept is that they crave physical sensations called sensuality they don't crave Christ. They don't prize the God of grace. They prostitute the grace of God. Pastor Billy warned us last week, and, and I would echo this warning, that we should all beware of thinking that this sermon, this message, 
is a great thing, like we can agree with it, man, I wish so-and-so could hear it. It should give us pause and compel us to pray, Lord, may it not be so of me. If this doesn't give you pause, if this doesn't convict you at all and lead you to, to the mercy of Jesus, friend, I would submit that perhaps you have not met Jesus. And I know that seems really harsh, but it's coming from a place of love. And I believe it's coming from the same motivation with which Jude wrote this letter. If, though, you feel conviction, and conviction is not shame, it's not a guilt trip like, woe is me, what have I done? But it's a stirring of the heart. And that's the spirit at work in you. That's God keeping you and preserving you. And that's why we fight to remember the gospel. When you experience the real grace of God, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, see, those sorts of people, the kind of people that believe in that, don't want to go on sinning. That's the freedom in Christ. He moves in and starts to change your desires. It's healing. It's redemption. You don't come to know the real Jesus and walk away not changed. His grace is too great. It's bigger and better than that. Paul wrote in Romans 6, verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? We fight to remember the true gospel. We know how it goes, right? Um, we started a podcast here at Cormdeo called The Follow-Up, and when we are not busy moving into a new office space um, and having like a gajillion meetings, usually we record this, this podcast on Tuesdays and we release it on Tuesday. And the idea came about because Sundays are awesome, but how does the gospel apply on Monday or Tuesday when you're in the throes of life? We're forgetful. So usually as early as Sunday afternoon or as late as, as Monday morning, as our proximity to one another dissipates, so does our zeal and our fight for faith. We are a forgetful people, and we need one another. This is why we gather in community groups throughout the week. We try to meet up in smaller groups even than that to, to disciple one another, to stir one another up in the gospel, because we know and understand that autonomy is not the way for the believer. God just simply did not design it that way. Let's move on to verse 8. Autonomy is not the way. Verse 8 says, Yet in like manner these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. So he's not saying that their sin is exactly the same as those examples that he gave, but he's saying it's extremely similar. They're relying on their dreams. He's saying that they're claiming that they're claiming visions of revelation that gave them permission to act this way. And they're making light of spiritual forces in a way that just outright rejects God's authority. See, time and again throughout Scripture, we see that God speaks to his people in, in, in three ways. He speaks through his people. You know, he speaks through me to you, to you, to, through you to me. He speaks through his spirit. And these are held up to be measured against the other way he speaks, and that's through his word. 
And this is important because Jude is not disqualifying visions or dreams altogether. He's not saying that prophecies are bad. He's not saying that um, people don't, you know, get words from the Lord. He's saying that relying on them alone, especially when they contradict the word of God, is to reject authority and to accept the path of destruction. Last week, Billy spoke a great deal about deconstruction. And he mentioned that one of the most important pieces of deconstruction that's massively missing from our culture is, is reconstruction. And so you have people whose lives are scattered just in shambles. Let me just add to that this morning that every personal story of deconstruction that I've ever interacted with starts the same way. Isolation. Neglecting gospel community and the gathering of the saints on Sunday, friend, you will find yourself scouring the internet for confirmation of thoughts, sitting alone, alone in a room agreeing with yourself. I would again petition you to see that not only is that outright rejection of God's authority, that you are relying on your dreams and becoming your own authority to, to self-justify actions, but also Man, what I would urge you to, to recognize the longing in your heart for community, the longing for the family of God that he has put in your heart. It's not an accident. Here's Pastor James Rathman again. Um, had a lot of quotes, and I had to whittle them down this week, but this is really good. He says, when, when he recreates our hearts, talking about Jesus, when he recreates our hearts, he does not leave us as these atomized people. He creates us into a family, something so united that he calls it his body, so united to him that he calls himself the head of the body, and the body that he creates is the church. The church is not incidental to your salvation, it's intrinsic. Being a part of the church is not a bonus feature because we like to just get together. It is the ordinary means that God uses to preserve us, to maintain us in him. So believers, let's do this together. Let's fight to remember the gospel. And, and let me add the same encouragement I gave in our Esther series. If you are going to doubt and wrestle with your faith, if you're gonna, I'll use the word, deconstruct it, let's do it together. Friends, welcome to Quorum Deo Church. Welcome to the mess. We are all messed up. And guess what? There are people here who might not be doubting what you're doubting. And that's okay, because we all need Jesus Christ the exact same. So this is not a call to remember to have it all together, to have it figured out. On the divine contrary, fighting to remember the gospel, we are reminded that Christ is the hero of the entire Bible. The disciples were on a boat with Jesus after witnessing miracles, okay, and healings. And they had the audacity to ask if he cared about them, because there was a storm. He commanded the sea and the storm to be quiet. They spent three years with Christ, and it wasn't until he arose from the dead and ascended that they began to fully understand. So we fight together. We fight to remember the gospel. We repent of the arrogance of self-justification and autonomy as it pertains to faith. We remember the ultimate authority belongs to God. Verses 9 through 10 with me. 
But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. So what seems natural, what seems intuitive to them, is destroying them. Judah saying that even the angels did not take lightly other spiritual forces, and, and they left the realm of rebuking Satan, they left that up to God. The archangel Michael is a messenger of God, so that's, that's a pretty big deal, but he, even he knew that God had the real and ultimate authority. Again, we should beware of thinking that this message, that what we receive from Jude, is something for someone other than ourselves. You might be thinking of specific people you might be thinking of specific sins, and I would urge you to shut that distracting voice down. Either pray for them or move on from the thought. God will be the ultimate judge in the end. This, this doesn't mean that we call sin, sin, that we don't call sin, sin. But it does, mean that, it does mean that we should be more cautious in how we act towards those who might not yet believe. What I mean is this. Do you want to be right and prove them wrong? Or do you long for them to know Jesus Christ? So should we give up on evangelism? Absolutely not. The grace of God compels us to share the hope that we have in Christ. But if that is what is truly compelling us, then humility will lead us, love will drive us, and compassion will sustain those efforts. We fight to remember the gospel. In closing this morning, the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the gospel we fight to remember. In Ecclesiastes 7, 29, he, he writes, Solomon writes, See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. I would ask you to consider, what are your many schemes? What are the sinful areas of your life that you've kept secret and what are you relying on to justify that secret sin? Don't rely on your dreams. Maybe, maybe it's not a secret. Maybe there are just parts of your faith that you've justified to yourself for so long. You've just given up on hiding it, right? It's just kind of part of who you are. Sorry, that's just my personality. Can't help it. Sorry, that's my Enneagram number. Jen's not here, so that would be more funny if she was. Um, our call is to fight to remember. Remember God's holiness. Remember God's authority. Remember his perfection and your lack thereof. Friends, fight to remember the gospel. God made us to be with him, but mankind sinned, and we were separated from the almighty holy God Sin corrupted everything. It does. It's the literal curse responsible for death and, and, and all of death's cousins like sickness and oppression. Death is not a natural part of life. It is the wage of sin. Yet out of love for us, he sent his only son to live the perfect life we were intended for. He was beaten beyond recognition and hung to die on a real cross paying the penalty for our sins, he went into a real grave. But three days later, God the Son stood up and walked out. 
He destroyed the power of sin and death, and he is alive. He was seen by many, ascended unto heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, whispering righteousness on all who would believe. This is our great hope, and he will return one day and bring about the final restoration and redemption that all of creation is longing for. He will make everything wrong right. So my hope for us this morning is that this good news would compel us to walk in the light of confession. We believe, we, we really believe that all of our sins, past, present, and future, were paid for by Jesus on the cross. And so rather than a life of licentiousness, we can freely confess our sins to one another in community because he paid the price. Let, let me just urge you also, believer, don't try and clean yourself up and then confess. That's just another form of self-justification, and, and it demeans the cross, right? Whatever that habit is, whatever that sin is, I'm just going to try to get my track record clean, and then I'll confess so that I can present myself a little bit more put together to my brothers and sisters in Christ. The good news of the gospel is freedom. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, confession to one another is the way of repentance. And if you're not yet a believer, I would like to invite you to meet Jesus. And I offer you the same encouragement I would to a believer that it's okay to not have everything figured out. It's okay to wrestle with doubt here, and it's definitely okay to not be perfect. But hear hear the words of the writer of of the book of Hebrews in 3.15. He says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. I would urge you, after the service, to come talk to me. Talk to someone about what it means to be a Christian. Christ alone is our hope in this life and the next. And if you're on the edge of your seat right now, feeling stirred, man, that's the voice of God. Don't ignore it. Christians, there was a time when the gospel had a grip on your heart. There was a time when there was passion and zeal. Maybe it was because there was newness. Maybe when you were a first believer. Maybe there were several moments where the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus got a grip on your heart and it moved you and compelled you. You knew that God was alive and at work in your heart. (sighs) He still is. He still is. You're here. We've made it this far. Hear this as his call for you to return. Fight to remember the gospel. And I don't even care if this is cheesy. This, this call, it's like Aragorn turning around and saying for Frodo and the Lord of the Rings, right? Those moments in the movies, in, in, in Remember the Titans, the halftime speech from Denzel Washington? This is William Wallace being stretched out to die shouting freedom. That same spirit of perseverance. It's your moment 
between the starting trees, and I'm saying to you, friend, do it afraid. You've got this. You're not alone. Let's fight to remember the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, I'm comforted by your knowledge and your wisdom. God, you know where we're at this morning. You know what we've, what we've brought to this gathering. Lord, I ask for renewal. I ask for revival. God, I ask for a stirring up of hearts that, that in that same sense of like, just, just getting ready for the fight, getting ready for those honorable moments, God, that we would be strengthened by your spirit to persevere in faith. And God, that our forgetful hearts would recall the good news of who you are and that it would no longer be something that we've gotten used to. Lord, would you make it new to us again? We know that you can when he ask you to do so. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Quorum Deo podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website, quorumdeonc.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for a bigger picture inside the life of the church. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.